This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. That one you're dedicated to all the bicycle riders, seen? Bicycle rider, bicycle rider. Bike rider, my other bike rider. Bike rider, my other bike rider. Trust me, riding a bike is better. Bike rider, my other bike rider. Everybody should ride bicycle. Everybody should ride bicycle. Bike for me, bike for you, bike for everyone. Bike for me, bike for you, bike for everyone. Good morning and welcome to this week's edition of the Yarra Bicycle Users Group radio program on Community Radio 3CR 855 AM and digital. Thank you to Democracy Now! for the last hour of current affairs. Yarra Bicycle Users Group radio, we're a little program about uh, bicycles and related transport issues coming to you from 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. And my name's Chris, and uh, on today's show, which I believe we're on, today is the 6th of November 2017, uh, I've got an interview uh, I did a little while back with Roxine Debeau from the Cambridge Cycling Campaign, and she's talking a bit about how she got started. She's originally from Western Australia, came to Melbourne, got interested in cycling, went overseas, and how it took off from there and what she's doing with that campaign in the UK. On less happy news overnight, it was uh, a hit and run in Coburg. A 13-year-old girl at this point that I know is fighting for her life. This happened at um, the intersection of Sussex and Bell Street in Coburg at 8pm last night. And... Uh, driver apparently had left the scene and uh, the driver um, was believed to be in a dark BMW, stopped briefly and uh, then left. All I'm bringing this up is if you see anything, if you know anything, please go to the police. And uh, investigators believe that the vehicle will have damage to the left-hand side and front window screen. Not exactly the most... (sighs) best news I've ever started a show with it's just really difficult to kind of you know do your little fortnightly stint and be all happy and cheery when you have to yeah anyway if you do know anything like I said uh, crime stoppers or please just contact the police directly now over the weekend if you've been on social media or all the rest of it you would have seen that the uh, TAC or towards zero Victoria have uh, started up a Give Space to Bicycle Riders campaign. And this is in lieu of Victoria being one of the most, uh, one of the last standout states, holdout states, I should say, to have a minimum passing law. And uh, this is drivers keep the space to ride safe. It's, in- it's, a, it's a nice little ad, but I've got the audio here, and if you do listen to it, you'll hear that there's something quite a. Um, uh, missing other than uh, it's enforceable as in what space to to leave now under 60 kilometers now it's one meter over 60 1.5 and that's something that's missing in the audio of this uh, there's a lot more if you want to read about it on towards zero.vic.gov.au 
Uh, I'm a little bit divided about it. <laughs> I divided bunks myself, but yeah, look, at least they're doing something. Yes, next year in Victoria is an election year. I think there's going to be plenty of debate about this in um, after your launch. And it's really sad that Victoria is still a holdout state for this sort of stuff for a minimum passing law. Anyway, here is the ad. And then I'm going to go to the uh, interview I did with Roxanne from Cambridge Cycling Campaign. You know, anything can happen when you're riding a bike. Branches, drains, even car doors opening. We need drivers to slow and give at least this much space in speed zones up to 60. And at least this much in zones over 60. It's just a little bit of space. For a lot more safe, drivers give the space to ride safe. Hello, I'm Roxanne DeVoe, I'm the Cycling Campaign Officer for the Cambridge Cycling Campaign, also known as CamCycle, in Cambridge in the United Kingdom. Uh, I'm originally from Australia, I was born and raised in Perth in Western Australia, but uh, after graduating university I was um, headhunted over to Melbourne to start my first professional job. I had to sell my car. Uh, when I left Western Australia to fund the move to Melbourne uh, but I thought that's okay Melbourne's got great public transport I won't need one uh, but it didn't take me long to realize that I was spending quite a bit of time on trains and trams which could have been wisely spent uh, doing something else and it was uh, I'm so grateful to my housemate who suggested to me at the time why not try a bicycle um, so I went and bought myself a, a little second-hand vintage red bike off the internet. It was uh, not a very good bike, but um, that got me absolutely hooked. And it was just meant to get me up and down Chapel Street to the shops and the gym and various things. And within 12 months, I'd bought a nice fancy road bike and had completed 210 kilometres in around the bay. <laughs> so, um, so that was sort of from, from nothing to everything with cycling. I was hooked, I cycled all around Melbourne, met my now husband and he thought it was quite great that I cycled and uh, we used to go on all our dates and adventures together on our bikes, eventually cycling together to our wedding. And from there uh, we decided to go off travelling and somehow when we were in the middle of South America, he got an invite to do a job interview in Cambridge in the United Kingdom. He went off to that while I stayed and he was sending me pictures of all the bikes in Cambridge and that was enough. I was convinced. I said, yes, sign me up. Let's move to Cambridge. If I can ride my bike, I'll be happy. So we moved to Cambridge nearly four years ago now and uh, all I wanted from my job was to be able to cycle to work. and. Uh, kind of uh, went over and above my expectations. I, I now am the cycling campaign officer and I, I run the Cambridge Cycling Campaign. <laughs> so not only do I cycle to work, I cycle to my meetings, I cycle to events, I cycle around the world doing things for cycling infrastructure, cycling campaigning, and I absolutely love it. But it's, it's nice now to come back to Melbourne and, and look at Melbourne with fresh eyes, uh, which have certainly been honed now that I'm, I'm used to looking at infrastructure, 
looking at what's going on in cycling and the culture and uh, it's driving my husband mad because we have to stop and take pictures of everything and have a good discussion about segregated cycle lanes like those ones that are on uh, Wellington Street now. They're, they're lovely, we need more of them. Um, but uh, yeah, certainly I have lots of strong opinions about what could be done in Melbourne to make it better. Uh, I'm a very strong advocate for everyday utility, transport, cycling. While I did have a great time doing Around the Bay, that long ride, for me that's not what it's about. It's about giving people independence and mobility so that they can get around. And I think it's sometimes hard for people in Australia to really understand what that can look like because they just haven't seen some examples. And what I love about Cambridge is that in spite of some pretty rough infrastructure, we have 30% or at least 30% of people cycling to work every day. That's not taking into account all the other journeys we have, cycling to school, cycling for errands around town. Uh, we also have gender equality in our cycling, so about the same percentage of, of men and women cycling to work every day. They're the stats that are the easiest to get. Um, and you can see that when you just look around town. I always joke that I'd love to do something like a tweed ride in Cambridge, but I don't think it would work because we, we have tweed rides every day. It's uh, great fun to see these professors on their bikes with their tweed jackets, with their leather arm patches, nice upright bicycles with hats and spectacles and, and various things. We see students cycling to their events at Cambridge University in their academic gowns. We see people going to their balls and fancy dinners in formal wear and ball dresses. My husband was involved with the university and I've certainly attended many a dinner in a fancy dress which we, we cycled in. I love seeing my husband in his tux on the way to dinner. It's, it's a very different thing. But I think the thing that brings me the most joy when I see people cycling in Cambridge is the school run. We see every single contraption on a bicycle you could possibly imagine. It's just like something out of the Netherlands. We've got box bikes, tandem bikes, kids in trailers, kids with bikes with three kids seats on them. Um, the size of these children that are riding their own bikes. I, I couldn't ride a bike when I was that young but they start really really young in Cambridge and it's just so nice to see and everybody is happy and smiling. Cambridge is a boom town, pretty much like Melbourne, with a population of about 125,000. It's a population that changes by a fifth every year. It's growing fast. Um, it's recognised as you know one of those major growth cities in the UK uh, from an economic perspective. So the government's keen to facilitate more of that growth. So we do have money coming in to spend on transport. So in spite of us not having such great infrastructure, it is acknowledged that increasing cycling will help Cambridge absorb this growth that is going on. So we've got the money, we've got the ideas, but uh, somehow they don't always come together and result in ideal cycling infrastructure. So that is keeping myself and my organisation very, very busy. But that's not her. That's just the lie. It's Fiesta time at Pepper Tree Place. Indulge in the magic of Fiesta in the beautiful garden surrounds at 512 Sydney Row, Coburg. Located opposite the old Pentridge Prison, Pepper Tree Place is a community-powered garden and nursery. 11th of November, 10 till 4pm, Fiesta will feature a fabulous musical lineup with Jukebox Racket, Ukulele Yui, Tony Swain, George Washing Machine and the Thornberries. 
Sustainable lifestyle and garden workshops run all day for free. Our pop-up cafe serves great coffee and treats, plus barbecue and bakery serving hot foods and garden fresh salads. All welcome at this family-friendly, alcohol-free day. A 3CR supporter. Until I was employed, it was a volunteer-run organisation. We have so many volunteers that have been working really hard for over 20 years in Cambridge, but the workload was just so high that they decided they needed a bit of help. Um, so I've been in the post for two and a half years, and a lot of that time has been spent actually just building the organisation um, to sustain an employee. It, I think we, we thought I would come in and do the work and it would all be great but actually once you up the scale to employing someone all of a sudden there's a lot of other work that needs to be done like fundraising and having policies and having a strategy and looking at the finances a little more so that takes a lot of time but but we've still been able to increase the the amount of campaigning work that we do and we've got some really exciting things that are now starting to come through with this extra funding that's that's coming through for Cambridge. One of the most exciting is something called the the Chisholm Trail and the Chisholm Trail is uh, a five kilometre off-road cycle route that connects the train station we have in the south of the city to the new train station that's just been opened in the north. But what it also does is it uh, connects to the two guided busway cycleways that go from those train stations. So this was a project prior to me moving to Cambridge, it's controversial but we'll leave that to the side. Um, they built a guided busway um, to bring people from outside the green belt into the Cambridge city centre uh, and probably the most successful part of that project was the tarmacking of the maintenance track alongside it and opening it up to cycles uh, and the amount of cycle traffic we see on these uh, guided busway cycleways is is incredible and some research was recently done showing there have been proven health benefits along that corridor from the number of people who have increased activity in their day-to-day -day life through cycling um, into the city. So we, we know that works and the Chisholm Trail now connects those together. It also connects the, to the other cycle routes that head into the city and so on. This, this trail will change my commute every day at the moment. It's, I have to go on the road a little bit, it's not great, but this will make my cycle to work amazing. I can't wait for it. Unfortunately though, I might have to find other places to cycle so I'm getting enough exercise during the day because it will also shorten my commute substantially. But this, this trail, it's called the Chisholm Trail. It's named after Jim Chisholm, which is one of the most famous Cambridge cycling campaigners. Cam Cycle um, nicknamed this trail that he came up with about 20 years ago, the Chisholm Trail, and it, it stuck and it looks like that is what it will be when it's opened. So the first part, which is a bridge, that's been approved, that's starting soon, and they're in the final stages of, of getting the first phase of this trail approved and that construction should start soon. But that's just one example. With, this, with the extra funding that's coming into Cambridge, we're looking at a lot of segregated, protected cycleways. Uh, we've seen a few pop up in various routes around Cambridge, uh, and they include things like uh, floating bus stops, uh, which have proven to be a little bit controversial in the community, but actually we've had a lot of them already. We just never called them floating bus stops. So in a way, the design has been refined, which has probably improved it, but it's, it seems different, it's, it's changed, and, and that's had people a little bit worried. But research has been done in London and in Cambridge, and we've not seen any incidents appearing from these floating bus stops. And what they do is they allow cyclists to go behind the bus stop rather than in front of the bus stop and in between the bus and the bus stop. Mm -hmm. And we see here in 
in Northcote we've got these raised platforms for the tram and I think they've helped to improve the situation. I'm not sure I've not experienced them. I was just about to say, we do actually have one of these floating stops and it's on the top of Hoddle Street opposite the Clifton Hill train station. Oh, it goes around the back. Brendan, who was a member of Yarrabug many years ago, and I think he passed a couple of years ago, but he was it was his suggestion, so we should call that the Brendan in his, in his memory, but he suggested because it was such a narrow pass in front there, and this is Hoddle Street where it's very, very, you know, congested and people don't want to ride on there, you go around the back. Yep, absolutely. And, and we've seen, we have these in Cambridge because we've got a lot of shared footway cycleways, mm. which is a whole other conversation, but, but it was already happening and now we've just made that a little bit more formal. But also it's, it's great for public transport users because the buses were getting held up by bikes and you had this toing and froing, the bike overtakes the bus, the bus overtakes the bike, and this is just taking that away so the buses can run more smoothly people on bikes can get on with their journey but it's also creating a really defined crossing which should be more useful for people with um, mobility and accessibility or, or visual impairment um, issues to, to access the bus stop but but it's proven it's different and people need to learn about how to use them but but so far they've they're proving quite quite effective and so hopefully we'll be seeing more of those coming in around Cambridge because we've got narrow roads uh, and we, we need to make that work. Celebrate International Day of People with Disability at the Victorian Disability Sport and Recreation Festival. Featuring over 30 exhibitors and three activity zones, come and try different modified sports and watch a disabled water skiing demonstration. This is a free, accessible, family-friendly event. Friday the 1st of December from 10am to 3pm at Crown Riverwalk. For more information, visit dsr.org.au. 3CR supporter. Yeah, well, there's lessons here for, for Melbourne in terms of the inner suburbs, but outer suburbs as well, is utilising existing infrastructure or architecture and using it in an intelligent way that all users win instead of like you know, negating, but you say, the floating um, bus stop around the back. But it's here at Melbourne, we've got these super stops or these tram ones here along High Street. Uh, for the listener, you go actually onto a platform in front. I haven't seen any conflict here in the probably five, six years they've been here. But again, it's just something to get used to. It's similar to um, putting your tram stops in the middle of the road, which people from outside of Melbourne find very peculiar that you are light into the middle of a road, even if you haven't got one of these super stops. Yeah. Each, each city has its own culture. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's one of those things where, you know, in Cambridge, where we like to refer to the Netherlands and take examples, but we do have to accept that our environment is a little bit different. But also, I think sometimes we have to challenge that perception that it's not that different. It looks different because they've, they've done some work. Uh, but if you look at those photos from a few decades ago, it looked quite similar. And I think it's interesting that we, we hear that these things aren't possible in Australia, but I look at the width of the roads and I'm like, oh, take that width and I'll show, show me what I could do with it. Because, because in Cambridge we do have those really narrow roads which are very similar to the, the other small towns around Europe where they've, they've made things work. But I mean, what we could do with this width would just be amazing. But it takes some really 
really big challenges to, to, to that car culture, to parking on the road, which uh, I, I know is a, a journey that Australia's still got quite a way to go in having some really realistic discussions about what's feasible on the public highway. And it is public space, it's not just for cars, it's for people, it's for moving people, and that's how we need to look at these corridors. And it's really frustrating when they, when you look at, um, you know, we've got all this work going on in Cambridge and we're doing the modelling and they've not, they're not modelling for cyclists because they've got the standard modelling that they use in other cities where 2% of people cycle and it doesn't really matter. But here we've got 30% or more of people cycling. We have to model for that um, and they're not doing it. And they're looking at here's how we can get the most cars down the road. Like, no, we should be looking at how do we get the most people down the road and I'm sure that, that people who are interested in this program who are listening have probably seen those diagrams which show just how much space you can you can use with the different transport methods uh, and how many people you can move through that space and, and that is why cycling is seen as part of the solution in Cambridge. They cannot build more roads, they cannot widen more roads, the density is, is already quite dense, we're trying to do a lot of infill within the green belt but the fact is we're getting a lot of people in from outside the green belt and I think while, while Melbourne doesn't have those greenbelt issues, it does have that sort of very dispersed population trying to come in from a distance. Uh, and, and to help those people who do need to drive their cars, we've got to get all those people making short local journeys out of cars, onto bikes, onto public transportation. Uh, and, and I think any other, anyone else who's worked in cycling campaigning will probably realise you, you end up spending a lot of your time talking about buses and trams and cars and not actually about bikes um, because you've got to fix the whole system. You can't just look at one road, add one cycle lane and fix it. You've got to look at the whole city, at the whole town, at the whole system. And for new developments, we've got so much potential to do it right, but even in existing areas, the whole system. And that's a really big job. <laughs> Did you know that each donation over $2 you make to 3CR's Radiothon is tax deductible? That means that when you're doing your tax return business, you can claim your 3CR donation as a legitimate tax deduction. To make a pledge to this year's Radiothon, call the station on 9419 8377. You're listening to 3CR Radio. Uh, from a road user perspective, we've seen the disruptive model of Uber and various models come in to kind of either disrupt taxis and or public transport. I remember seeing a very interesting analogy, oh imagine you've got these Ubers to leave at the same time and someone's saying your bus, you're talking about a bus. But cycling has seen a similar model with dockless bike systems and Melbourne, yes everyone's talking about O-bikes and there's been a recent memorandum of understanding between three councils, Yarra, Port Phillip and Melbourne with O-bike because they just basically came out here several thousand bikes and plonked them all around Melbourne and Australians being what they are towards disposable objects have um, responded accordingly. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit from your perspective of what dockless uh, systems you've you've dealt with? So um, Cambridge I believe was one of the first cities outside of China to to get one of these dockless bike sharing schemes and that was with OFO bikes. 
There was still a little bit of a surprise for Cambridge. We, we heard about it through the media before anyone had, had contacted the cycling campaign. Um, and so there was a lot of, of, of worry about uh, what that would mean. And particularly when we saw these pictures coming out of China of mountains of bicycles piled up on top of each other, uh, looking at the bikes, they didn't have bike lights, they didn't have necessarily baskets and the things that we would expect a bike to have for Cambridge. We were a bit worried, but um, they did come to Cambridge and they started with just a few bikes and they really just managed them at, from the train station into the city centre and then would keep redistributing them. Um, so they started really, really small uh, and they they then, they were still building their team but as they built their team they made a lot more contact with CamCycle um, and actually they approached their operations manager from an organisation we already worked with so that was a good start that we had good contact with the operations manager but um, they've been in quite a lot of contact with us they've taken a lot of feedback from us about the bikes so we've seen them refine their prototype they've now got baskets they've got lights that are dynamo lights solar powered lights so the lights are always going on um, the di dimensions of the bike have changed they're much more robust they can um, carry a larger person because we we're actually worried that you know we, we, and also in Australia you know we've got the bigger people you know tall people heavier people that, that need a more robust bike so so they've certainly improved that so we've seen them improve the bike we've seen them listen to us on on areas where the bike should be on where we think they should or shouldn't be parked so they've, they've expanded slowly adding a few bikes at a time and I, I believe they're up to several hundred now and it's, it's going okay. We've had a few incidents of, of vandalism or of abandoned bikes, but honestly, just absolutely nothing like what I've seen in Melbourne. And I'm not just talking about what I've seen in the media, but actually what I've seen on the streets and in the Yarra and, and things like that. And, and I think there's a number of issues at play here. The first being that the organisation has probably not managed the process as well as they should. I don't think they did a gentle rollout. It doesn't sound to me like they've done as much stakeholder management. So, so the bikes have sort of been a bit of a surprise. The bikes don't look to me as robust as others that I've seen. They've got mud guards that look ridiculously easy to to break um, which is a you know just making it easy but I also think that the local authorities haven't helped they've not said this could be part of the solution and and let's try and work the, the local authorities have probably reacted a bit too strongly against them um, and the press has absolutely done quite a beat up so with them not managing it properly the local authorities not giving a positive enough reaction to the ideas around this yes the implementation might not be right but let's actually support the ideas around this but then the press just giving it an absolute beat up it's just given people carte blanche to go and go and just to vandalize these bikes and they're getting encouraged because then you get more and more in the press and and and, and that's just really disappointing this is other people's property that if you vandalized a car or a bench seat or a tram or a tree or anything else in public space you would you'd get in so much trouble for it and you would be frowned upon whereas here it's almost encouraged it's a bit of that Aussie culture that we're having a bit of a laugh but that's not really fair and I think the other problem is that the blame's being put on the people who use or stand to benefit from these bicycles cyclists why on earth would I as a cyclist go and cut the brakes on a bike that I might use I would never do that so so I think that it's just being used to create a bit more of a of a cycling beat up which is really disappointing but I've now heard that OFO are, are planning to launch in, in Melbourne and Sydney. So um, I'm intrigued to see if they use the same approach as they have in Cambridge in these cities and to see how they overcome um, the challenges that Obike have faced. But, but also they're now starting from behind, uh, whereas you know, 
if the first company had come in and had done it a bit better and had a bit more support uh, and a bit less of a beat up, they could have done a, a better job. So it will be interesting to see how it plays out. But but globally, we're, we're seeing a, a really um, intense battle for market share. And so we're seeing a lot of markets getting flooded with bikes. And, and I think that's going to cause a lot of disruption they'll be everywhere for a while but I'm, I'm hoping that you know the key players will emerge and, and hopefully it becomes a bit more settled but I think the other big problem in Melbourne is there's, there's not really anywhere to leave these bikes there's being seen as street clutter but actually what we should be looking at is if we keep finding bikes left in certain locations maybe there's demand for cycle parking there uh, maybe the reason people are using these bikes is because they can't use their own bike because there's nowhere to park it and they don't want to leave their own bike um, unattached to a, a parking stand. So, so I think that actually seeing these shared bikes could help to provide a lot of insights on, on what infrastructure could be added to improve the cycling environment. And, and that's one of the big things about these shared bike systems is they get a lot of data. So perhaps the local authority could be working with them to say, let's, let's, let's share some data and let's work together to improve the environment for cyclists. So my uh, visit in Melbourne is, is coming to an end and I, and I guess there's a few observations and reflections from, from what I've seen. I think what's so positive is that there's a really visible indication of a, a change in culture that I just didn't, didn't see when I used to live here. And we've seen a bit of it cycle past right now, someone in their everyday clothes on a bike heading off on their, on their business. But um, as I, I walk around Melbourne, I see so many more step through bikes, bikes with baskets, bikes with mud guards, bikes with pannier racks, pannier bags and people cycling in their everyday clothes and there's just so much more of that which shows that everyday cycling as a viable transport alternative is really starting to come out in Melbourne. Also seeing some great segregated infrastructure in places but it's still not connected as part of a, of a network which is disappointing but I also find that having visited here and and looking for that strong campaigning organisation that um, that we seem to see in the UK, it feels like the, that, that doesn't really exist in, in Australia. The, the, the messages are still a little bit confusing. We, we see a lot of the road cycling and the, the lycra and so on mixing in with the transportation cycling. And, and while you can be all of those types of cyclists and, and the infrastructure can benefit all of us, the messaging is really confusing. And I think that what we really need in Melbourne and in Australia is a really, really strong clear voice that cycling is a viable transportation alternative for everybody, for children, for people with disabilities, for older people, for people going to work, for people going to school. Um, it's not just a sport for the elite or the fit and, and active. And so I'd really like to see more of that coming out of Melbourne and Australia. But there are really positive signs there uh, and I do hope that that if and when I come back to Australia that cycling will be will be better because I, I'm, I'm addicted to this ease of lifestyle that I have in Cambridge where I just get on my bike and I, I can get everywhere without really having to worry. So so that's my observations and my hopes for Melbourne um, and if, if anyone wants to find out more I certainly recommend that they, they get online and they look at Cambridge Cycling Campaign where camcycle.org.uk um, we're at CamCycle on Twitter 
Uh, Cambridge is probably one of the most successful cycling campaigning organisations in the UK. We've got 1,200 members, which was at one stage more than all the political groups in Cambridge combined. So uh, unfortunately, things changed when Jeremy Corbyn came on the picture and, and everyone joined the Labour Party in Cambridge. So I can't claim that anymore. But um, but it just shows that cycling is something that goes across all political groups, all, all ideas. So it, it's for everybody. Um, and you can also find me on Twitter at uh, Roxy from Oz. That's R-O-X-Y from O-Z. But yes, so I, good luck to cycling in Melbourne. Thank you for your time today, Roxy. Thank you to Roxanne for her generous uh, time. I interviewed her about a week and a half ago up in the salubrious surrounds of uh, Northcote next to the town hall so you can hear all those ambient sounds in the background. So that's all I've got time for in today's show. Our podcast should be up shortly on 3cr.org.au forward slash podcasts. And also don't forget that uh, 3CR relies upon the financial support of our listeners. So when you're also on that website... Look for the subscribe or donate option and subscribe or donate to 3CR. Okay, uh, I think I've run out of time today. So up next is Jailbreak and I'll be back on air in about a fortnight. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.